Let's Cover That podcast is brought to you by CM&F Group, professional liability services for over 200 healthcare professions. Visit our website at cmfgroup.com slash podcast for more info. Hey, everybody. Will Sullivan here with another episode of Let's Cover That with my co-host. Antonina Agruza. And today we have with us Gigi Acevedo Parker, the National Clinical Risk Management Leader and Healthcare Risk Vertical Lead of the Risk Services Division of Hub International, one of the top five insurance companies in the world. Gigi, thank you so much for joining us today. Sure. So tell us a little bit about your background in healthcare and what led you to Hub International. Sure. Great. Thank you. Great being here. I have, I guess I have to keep changing this number, but probably in reality, it is about 35 years of healthcare experience. I began my career as a registered nurse, uh, just a generalist, regular old registered nurse. I I then uh, became an advanced practice nurse with specialty in psychiatry after I kind of migrated from uh, the general medical arena and um, made my home in psychiatry, mental health. Um, I did a, uh, a long stint at, in regulatory, working for the Joint Commission as a leader and surveyor. So I had the chance to actually be in over 48 states reviewing and uh, healthcare organizations, especially behavioral healthcare organizations all over the country, all kinds, whether they be psychiatric hospitals, uh, medical practices, community-based services, um, you name it, I've done it. I then um, d- didn't think I had enough creden- enough initials behind my name, I guess, <laughs> but I also wanted to understand compliance and um, I gained an executive JD so I would, you know, be more impactful for my clients uh, with understanding healthcare law, which um, is is a, a complicated and very um, challenging um, arena for many of my clients. So that's kind of my background, and and I landed at Hub because it's just it was um, it was a wonderful place. You know, I had the opportunity to really kick off clinical risk management. They hadn't had that role, that specific role. They Hub has a very vast risk services division. Um, I've never seen anything like it. The, the talent, the credentials of the risk services in every single state is, is, is tremendous. But clinical risk services, they did not have a clinician out of you know over 90 very well-credentialed risk managers. So I, get, I had the opportunity to not only come working with a great team, but to develop uh, clinical risk services. So, Gigi, why don't we step into that? What so what is the role as a clinical risk expert within Hub International? What what are you actually practically doing day to day? And I know that varies. <laughs> that definitely varies. Uh, well, day to day, most of the time, most of the time, I am really um, answering tough questions. Not you know as the answer question lady, but really. Um, answering, you know, putting together plans and strategies for clients and prospects for a hub on very tough uh, clinical risk topics. Uh, some of them are everything. It, there, there's, there's no limit, whether it's uh, surgical, medical, uh, uh, 
um, be, uh, behavioral health, of course, I love because it's my personal clinical specialty, but uh, everything. So there's a lot of questions. When you know our clients are practicing out there, they want to be safe. And so that's a big part. I do a lot of webinars and, and white papers and, and the like for our clients because, you know, I want to keep them well informed of trends in, in clinical risk areas. Uh, so that's really what um, my, my time is. I travel um, uh, nationally and uh, Canada for, um, to do uh, presentations in person or to do client service in person whether it be training or some other type of service, actually providing on-site risk, um, risk assessments where, you know, it might be, a, um, say, behavioral health. If I was in a hospital or a psychiatric hospital, I'd walk the halls and, and talk to staff and, and really drill down on possible risk areas for that, for that organization. That's super impressive, Gigi. And thank you for mentioning that your clinical profession is in, you know, behavioral health and mental health services, um, which leads to my next question. You know, diving into the healthcare industry specifically, in mental health services, what type of risk challenges do those pose? Well, they vary as to where <laughs> where mental health services are being practiced. In, in the highest level of practice, which would be a secured areas where persons are um, um, acutely, seriously mentally ill, such as hospitals and other types of locked facilities, um, those pose the highest risk for, for the healthcare workers and um, the practitioners, um, pro, but the but the community-based services and the, and the practices, the physicians and the other practitioners in their practices, that truly is, it's a, it's a less controlled environment. So I spend a significant amount of time talking to those practitioners about the risks that occur in those environments because those patients are not locked, they're not secured, no one's watching them. So after an hour uh, session, or maybe after just a few minutes with a psychiatric practitioner, um, the, the person leaves and then there the risk happens. So we hope that everything is done on the front end with the practitioner because the risk occurs when, when, that, when that person leaves or if something wasn't done appropriately during the visit or the encounter. What, what type of, when you talk about the different risk profiles based on where the services are being provided and you kind of you start to see a lot more decentralization in that through COVID. So, you know, which kind of brings us to, you know, you have brick and mortar, but you also have more hands off with telehealth as well. When you see all these platforms coming out, how does that look from a risk profile standpoint when you're advising these practitioners or you're advising the platform? You know, what, what are a couple key critical, um, risk areas on those? Well, you know, that's a great question. And there are so many platforms and uh, so many ways to practice, especially with telehealth, telemedicine and behavioral health. So one of the things, of course, the first thing is security. So, you know, there's so many platforms uh, out there and practitioners sometimes will, I mean, have no, they do not, um, obtain guidance from someone who could guide them as the best 
platform for their type of care treatment or service. And so therefore they may pick a platform that is less secure. You know, HIPAA and privacy still um, apply in telehealth, telemedicine, telehealth. You know, um, I think that sometimes, uh, and misdiagnosis, that's probably number two. So number two is misdiagnosis because whether it's physical um, remote work or whether it's behavioral health remote work, mental health remote work, misdiagnosis, you're, um, you, you're not seeing the per you are not, you know, physically seeing the person. Even in, you know, psychiatry, as we were talking about right now, mental health, psychiatry, behavioral health, all interchangeable, really. Um, you know, the practitioners gain a lot from just um, physically being in the same space with that um, person. Also, you know, even though it's even though it's psychiatry, mental health, vital signs and all of these kinds of physical uh, things need to be taken to make sure that there are not any adverse medication reactions from the things that are being prescribed to them. Um, control substances are a whole nother thing as providers are providing um, uh, without ever seeing their patients sometimes um, control substances. So um, additional risks. So the top two are security and privacy and all of these various types of platforms and misdiagnosis. Gigi, around the topic of telehealth, can you talk to us a little bit about interstate compacts? We've been getting a lot of questions from our healthcare professionals about, you know, bringing on patients over state lines. Yes, uh, you know, that is, we do get a lot of questions and a lot of talk around that because, you know, it is a wonderful way to bring uh, professionals um, around the country to especially remote areas, rural areas, or underserved areas. So let's say that, you know, it is a great thing, but the risk of it, it really is on the practitioner side. Um, licensure, they need to understand what would be the licensure understand licensure in the states that they will be practicing in. No matter, even if they have compact licensure and some of that is on, some is already done in some, in, um, for some practitioners and some is, is expected to be coming more compact state approval, but that doesn't mean anything. They must understand the, the laws around uh, their practice in the state that they are practicing in, which can, can be very different. They need to go to the board of for their particular discipline, review the rules and regulations around practicing in that state and understand them. So that's at minimum. My recommendation though, is to gain licensure in the state that you want to practice in. You have to know that a lot of these states, you know, uh, their rules are very different. It, it puts more security with you if you have licensure in these various states. It costs a few bucks. It takes a little bit of time, but that's it. Also, you've got to think the states themselves want practitioners to be licensed in their states. There's revenue associated with that. There's more control associated with that. And so though these compact states and, you know, this has grown, especially with COVID, um, the practitioners for their own safety 
really need to consider license, full licensure in every state that they want to practice. And if they can't, if they don't want to do that, at, at minimum, they need to understand clearly the rules and regulations around their, their in, in that state. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really amazing because that just, you know, especially in the legality, from the regulatory sense, you, you hear interstate compact, you hear CIPAC, all these different conversations are happening, especially through COVID, whereas telehealth wasn't really known to everybody on a personal level. And now you see the compacts coming out and people just presume, I think, just based on the, the verbiage that it just means everything's the same everywhere. Yes. But things are going to be quite different from Texas versus more rural areas in New Mexico versus if you're in Chicago, and especially if you're on a telehealth platform, which is, you know, for, you know, as it's mental health month, I mean, it's, it's key, key to the countries like health and, and gain more awareness to that. But it's, it's really amazing at, at just the risk that continues to follow you. So when you think about that, what, what do you see the evolution in, in healthcare? Um, when, when you start seeing these compacts and just telehealth increases, but also the patient-centered need for direct interaction too. Like I know just as a sidebar, one of the comments we, we've had a conversation about was you can have an interaction with a patient and not see everything in their yes. home from the camera. Yes. And they might have other things around there that could cause harm that you would have no awareness of yes. in certain aspects. So you know, what do you see the evolution in, in this, uh, just in a general sense? Well, I think that unfortunately, I think it will have to have some serious safety events that may occur. I, smaller events are occurring all the time, just all the time. Misdiagnosis, um, complaints, grievances, these are, these are routine. I mean, it, it is true. I, I fear that some serious safety event, and this is what we're speaking to in, in um, healthcare organizations and what we speak to, um, what we're speaking about a lot is, is when does it, you know, when does this occur? You're, you're exactly right, Will. The here's a provider. Let's give it. I'll give you an example. A provider I was discussing had a, such a telehealth uh, telemedicine event, and they had a um, a patient on the screen. They were speaking to them, and you know, and and asking questions, making their assessment evaluation. And you're right. All of a sudden, their the person's uh, phone fell from wherever it was or out of their hand or whatever. And the practitioner saw tons of guns in the background of someone who is seriously depressed, right? And in the background of this patient's home, all kinds of guns, just all kinds of guns. Now, they were in a state that, you know, had licensure to have these guns, but of course, that's not the issue. The issue was the safety of the patient. I mean, really, that, you know, front and center. It wasn't, you know, uh, any other issue at that point. But just think about that. Just, just think about that, that limitation. Now, obviously, if the person came to you in person, you would not see their home at all. So that's another thing. But where, where does the risk occur? Because now that practitioner has knowledge of these guns 
And what does that practitioner do with that knowledge and how safe? So there are all kinds of, you know, there's all kinds of risk um, with mental health and telehealth and all kinds of, you know, the practitioner was discussing this with me and was saying, then I had to think about gun laws in that state. And, and I was thinking about in my state, the gun laws are more restrictive. And, you know, it's a, it's a cavalcade of, of, of issues that the practitioners must be, think about and be very aware of. So the, the visit for the practitioners in, in telemedicine for mental health does not stop at just the first, they must have a visual visit, okay? That's the first thing I always prompt them. You can have, and I was working with a group of practitioners, a large group, and they were doing everything without even having visual visits. So that's pretty much a no-no. I mean, that that's you're creating even more risk. But um, you really have to think about now, all of a sudden, they were starting to think about laws in their state, um, um, uh, emergency, um, um, accessing emergency response team in that state, um, their own licensure in that state, gun laws and other types of laws in that state. So when you think about it, there are many, many risks from the clinical presentation and the cross-border knowledge that the practitioners have to have. So I think that, you know, it's great that we're opening the eyes in risk services of, of the kind of a 360 risk um, evaluation when we look at telehealth, telemedicine, uh, and from its tech platforms to its clinical, the clinical presentation of the types of patients that they see and really looking at it 360, because if you don't, you really can't advise someone on, on all the potential risks that they, that they might incur. Definitely. And thank you for sharing that anecdote. I think it was really meaningful for our audience to hear. And before we wrap up our episode today, Gigi, are there three quick risk management tips that you can give our listeners? Ah, three. Well, um, on this topic, on the topic that we have discussed first, um, ensure that um, you have secured a uh, privacy safe platform to conduct any telehealth telemedicine encounters. Ensure that you understand the, the law and rules and regulations around uh, your practice, even, even if it's in your own state. I, I found a lot of practitioners don't don't understand really the ramifications, never have looked on the board, make sure that you understand those. A lot of people can help you with that. And then think about the outcome after the you've secured your platform, you have your, um, you understand the rules and regs and make sure that, that your telehealth telemedicine um, encounter doesn't change what you would do um, if that patient were in your presence. And so it doesn't change just because it's telehealth, telemedicine, the same safe practice that's done in person needs to be done remotely. And yeah, it's, it's an amazing overview and walking through with us, Gigi. Thank you so much for hopping on with us. Oh, thanks for having me. It was great this discussion. Thanks, Gigi. And that's another episode of Let's Cover That.